0: Back to the Clayton Castle podcast. We took a quick one week break because I started a new job this week, a job that I'm excited about, a job that I know I'm going to love with a great team. And I'm just so excited. But we are back this week with something very special. We're not going to have a guest. I'm not going to sit down and talk with anyone for this episode. We are actually going to do our first compilation episode of previous interviews from the podcast. I figured, you know, election day is just about a week and a half away. So we're going to replay some of the moments from interviews with candidates who are going to be on the ballot here in November. If you remember correctly, I have interviewed five people who will be on the ballot. The first one I interviewed was Rodney Muterspaul. He is the former Middletown police chief. He is now a real estate agent, but he is also running for Middletown City Council. I then interviewed Zach Farrell. Who is also a real estate agent, who is also running for Middletown City Council. Now, we're also gonna hear from Rodney about this upcoming Hollywood land. You know, this is a big project, I believe it's $1.3 or $1.4 billion, but there's a little bit of skepticism among many in the Middletown community. So, we're gonna talk to him about his thoughts about that. Plus, we're going to hear from both Zach and Rodney about what they would do for the city of Middletown if they are to be elected. I then interviewed my my social studies teacher, my ethnic studies teacher from Walnut Hills High School, Joe Yoshimura. He is running for re-election to the Northwest Local School Board. We will also hear from Jamie Castle. She is a teacher at Walnut Hills High School now. She is a former congressional candidate. Um, out of the uh, second district out in Eastern Ohio, stretching all the way to Cincinnati. She ran for that last year, lost to Brad Wenstrup. She is now running for Cincinnati City Council. She is one of about, I feel, about a 1,000 people running. Um, I really think it's about 34, but we will hear from her about her plans for the city of Cincinnati, and we will also hear from the legendary Mike Moroski, who is currently on the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education, we will hear from him about his plans for the district, should he be re- reelected, his views on masks, his views on critical race theory, and more. So this is an episode you will not want to miss. If you're headed to the ballots, I urge you to be informed, yes, with these people who you will hear from today, but also the people who are running against them, I urge you to be as informed as possible. Obviously, I have my preferences. Um, You can probably tell because I have them on the podcast, but I urge you to go visit platforms, Facebook pages, and learn more about all of the candidates and who best suits your views and values for the community that you live in. With all that being said, we'll be right back with sound from Rodney Meterspoel. Welcome back to the Clayton Castle podcast election day special. My name is Clayton Castle. And as I said before, we are going to hear from different candidates that I've had on the podcast before. We are going to start with Mr. Rodney Muterspaul. He was on episode two of the podcast. He is the former police chief of the city of Middletown, Ohio. He is also an author of of the Blue View, the uncut journal of an Ohio police chief. And he is also running for city council in the city of Middletown. So we talked a lot in that interview. You can also go back and find the interview again on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can go back and listen to all the episodes. Rodney, again, was episode number two. So you have to scroll all the way back up to the bottom, back up to the bottom, down to the bottom. And if you can find that we talked a lot about his career as a police officer, police chief, his current career as a real estate agent, and what he wanted to do for the city of Middletown. This is what he had to say when asked what his platform was and what he wants to achieve for the city of Middletown.
1: My whole platform is two it's two things, positivity and transparency. This city needs both. Our city Middletown's a city that loves to hate itself. I, I don't understand that. Um, Everybody talks trash about Middletown, badmouths in Middletown. You go outside the city. I hear my friends in Mason and Westchester about, oh, my God, Middletown. And I'm like, it's not like that. There's bad pockets, but every city has bad pockets, you know. And uh, as far as the transparency, I think there's some things um, going on in the city building that needs changed. I know that from the people that reach out to me in the city building that want change. Um, I don't know if I'm the guy to do it, but I know I can help. Um, I, I support council now. I don't agree with everything they do, but I won't run a negative campaign. I can tell you that I have a, I have about 10 business owners that's working with me on all this to to get moving that, that have basically said, we want to do whatever we can to help you win. And, and, you know, I'm blessed, man. I have a lot of support in the city. It's crazy. And, you know, it's because of the great things that Middletown has done for me. And, um, my platform is just going to be doing it right. You know, council make key decisions. And in the past, the problem with Middletown is the city manager always seemed to set the tone for the city and council just approved everything. It's not the way it's supposed to be run. Council sets the direction for the city and the manager follows that direction, not the other way around. I can tell you the city manager before this one, I mean, he did great things with the city. He really did. I mean, he was the first few years, he was awesome. But by the end, I think he thought he was council's boss and not the the way around. I can, if you watch some videos of council meetings, you can see what I'm talking about. Um, but the guy was brilliant. Um, the current one, I met with him for lunch recently at the Swire Inn downtown, and we had a great conversation about things. And uh, I, I think that we could work together. We didn't agree on everything. but not supposed to. But my goal is to get some things changed, and he changed it with positivity and transparency.
0: I love how you talk about the image of Middletown outside of Middletown, because before I start, started dating Heather— yeah. You know, my only image in Middletown was my great grandmother used to live up here okay. she, and she died in 2008. So my image was like, there's nothing to do there. It's This, You know, and then I started dating Heather and she's taking me to all these amazing places. Cool places. I, I love the jug. I yes. cannot get enough, enough yeah. of the jug. Here at Java Johnny's, we, wow. you know, before the pandemic, we came here every yeah. Sunday morning before church. There's so much, this wire in, I just mm-hmm. went there for the first time about a month ago. There are so many cool oh things about Middletown that people outside of Middletown don't know about. There
1: is, there's in the restaurants you named. I'm a big eater. You know, I'm 6'4", about 245 pounds. I'm not a little guy. And I don't do keto. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, you look at even like uh, Bandana. It's a new Italian restaurant. And Monica Nenny, one of the council members, owns that. And, and West Central Wine, just fantastic places. Great, Gracie's, Amy Vittori owns that. She's a council member. I mean, I would eat their meatloaf off a bathroom floor, man. I told her that one time, and she was like, "Would you?" I said, "Yeah, it's, it's that good." Yeah, that's a joke. I really wouldn't do that, but but there's so many good places. You know, Brent's Barbecue. I can sit and name restaurants all day. Middletown is known for their their pop up local restaurants. Combs Barbecue. My Combs, goodness, yeah. Can, Miss Jade Soul Food. That's the kind of food I grew up on. It's it's the newest one down here. You got to try it. I mean, my right. point is, is there's so many cool places, and those are all food places. But there's so many cool places like that in Middletown that people just only in Middletown know of. So when I have my friends from out, like from Blue Ash or something, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not coming there. I said, just come down for one evening and I'll take you around some places and you'll love it, I promise you. And we get a reputation that's not deserved. We really do.
0: Now, since we last talked to Rodney, there's been a huge development in the city of Middletown. There's been a proposal, a $1.4 billion proposal to build a new state-of-the-art film studio, there's going to be an amusement park, boutique hotels, brew pubs. It's going to be called Hollywoodland. Now, there's a lot of skepticism in the Middletown area for several reasons, but one being that there have been a lot of people who say, Middletown can't handle that. There's one, There are two-lane roads in and out of that area where they're proposing, so there's a lot of infrastructure issues. Plus, Middletown has an identity. It's kind of a quite a quaint, quiet, tight-knit community. A lot of people don't want that interrupted. Plus, there are a lot of questions about how exactly this will, will be funded as a future possible city council member. Rodney has been asked about this several times. Now, he recently released a video on Facebook, and here is what he had to say about the $1.4 billion project, Hollywoodland.
1: Uh, one of the things that, you know, that really stuck to me when I, I looked into this was I tried to keep an open mind the best that I could. And I still am. Um, they've been talking about this for 14 months in executive session and different things like that. Um, the people on council are some smart people. Um, they, they, they have reviewed this. They've looked at it. Um, With that in mind, um, I still don't know what's going on with it. It's so many questions. Um, When I watched the presentation, it literally made me have more questions than what I had beforehand. Um, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I also know what to look for in certain situations. And I do know people. Um, I thought the presentation left a lot to be desired. Um, One thing that really struck me funny that I don't know if how we can ever do this is by saying that this will never cost Middletown taxpayers any more money. That can't happen. That, that's impossible. The project itself might be paid for with American rescue plan funds, but there's no way our taxes doesn't double or potentially triple down the road on this with infrastructure, sewage, water, whatever. Eventually homeowners are going to have to raise rent, uh, that are renting out properties. Property values are going to change. It's going to be monumental if this thing happens. Um, I plan on listening to the rest of the, uh, talks about it and hearing more presentation I've reviewed. I've made phone calls to different cities. I've talked to some different uh, agencies in different cities about this project and the projects that are going on there. So my best advice to you is do your own research. Do not rely on word of mouth or Facebook um, without doing your own research. That's all I did is I made a lot of phone calls, emails myself. Um, right now, I'm really hesitant and skeptical uh, simply for the fact is I don't know enough about it. Um, some of the presentation made me roll my eyes. Other parts of it, I was like, well, that could be pretty cool. It just depends on how you look at it. Make sure that you do your own, you know, your own research on this. That's the best thing I can tell you. If you Google the, the developers, if you Google the project, if you Google everything, you can find out by calling these other agencies that have went through this or that are going through it also. But try to do that the best that you can. I know there's a lot floating out about this right now. There's upset people that are angry. I get it, especially, you know, downtown area. Um, but our city's a lot bigger than downtown. It's all over. And that's something we need to consider as well. But have an open mind. Um, instead of going on there and just going crazy over the council members and what they're trying to do, listen to them, but do your own research. And hopefully you'll come up with something that will benefit you and your family. But this is long term. And one of my concerns is that we have a fire levy coming up for 25 years, which is going to tax our kids and our grandkids for four new fire stations. I can tell you we need these fire stations in the worst possible way. We really do. Um, what they're working in is archaic almost. It's horrible. So make sure that we um, keep that in mind, too, because there's going to be more levies coming up. I just don't know how we can not have any additional taxes or money paid on a general fund. Unless I heard it wrong over the the next 20, 25 years for this project.
0: Now, I had another person on the podcast who's also running for Middletown City Council, and that is Zach Farrell. Again, also a real estate agent. But he also had some concerns about the Hollywoodland project. Now, I wasn't able to get sound from him about the project. He did an interview recently on 700 WLW with Eddie Fingers and Rocky Boyman. You can find that full interview. It's about a 10-minute interview on the iHeartRadio app under the Eddie and Rocky podcast section. But basically what he said is there's a lot of concerns about one of the biggest concerns was infrastructure. As I mentioned before, a lot of the roads going in and out of that area along the riverfront where the developers are proposing this 1.4 billion dollar project, there are a lot of those are one and two lane roads out of the out of the city. Now, another point that Zach made in this interview is that a lot of those roads are landlocked by railroads. So, he made the comparison of or the analogy that, well, if we are hosting WWE Raw events there at Hollywoodland, how are we going to get these people out? So Zach made some great points on that. He also mentioned the identity of Middletown. A lot of that identity has to do with the people. And a lot of these people don't want this project. They don't want that drastic of a change in that short amount of time. Another issue that both Rodney and Zach have brought up is transparency. This project was just sprung on the entire community two weeks ago and has been in the works for nearly a year, if not more. So why are we just learning about this project now? You know, this is something that concerns me because I am a new resident of Middletown. Will tax dollars be affected? Will my taxes go up? Um, It's a project that, both Zach and Rodney have mentioned that if it works, it is a huge economic uh, economic boom, not just to Middletown, but to the entire region. But if it doesn't work, that could be disastrous for Middletown. And so there are a lot of concerns, a lot of questions to be answered. There are a lot more questions than answers right now. And they are looking to vote on this in December. Um, the community is starting to get involved. They're going to the board meetings. They're asking questions. But until a lot of these community members get those answers to the questions that they have, um, we there, there's a good chance that this does not get passed. Now, moving on from Hollywoodland, we did talk to Zach Farrell. We talked a lot about his upbringing in the Middletown community. He, his, We talked about the success of his real estate business and how He has made his wealth before, a great amount of wealth before the age of 30. How he also sold his dream house to move back into Middletown to run for city council. Here's what he says about what he would do for the city of Middletown should he be elected. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? And this will be the last question. Where do you see yourself in 10 years and where do you see Middletown in 10 years?
2: I, I see myself better than I am today. I don't know what 10 years from now looks like. I always had the dream that I would grow, that I would grow the top team in this region, in this area. And I did that. And my other goal was to be a top 30 real estate agent in the nation under 30 years old. So I actually became a finalist this year for that. So I finished top 50, but I didn't finish top 30. Now I'm competing against people selling California, New York, Florida, Florida, much higher areas than this, than Ohio, especially Middletown, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So I I did get very close to my goal there. Um, But I don't know, that was my 30 year mark. So I need to revisit and figure out what I want to do by 40. You know, I don't know if it's real estate. I don't know if it's like what I'm necessarily trying to accomplish. So it's not a great answer, but I just, I wake up every day and I want to become a little bit better than I am today. So I guess that's my short response. Maybe you asked me this in six months. I have a different answer. You know, it's not like I wanna go on to like be a senator or governor or something like that. Like, yeah, I'm running for city council, but like I've already had people reach out and like some guy like got into an argument with me the other day about a house and he's like, all typical politician and I was like, "Mm, well, I don't think city council is necessarily like politician. <laughs> no, that's your neighbor, <laughs> right? Like I'm just the guy that's going to vote, and hopefully, you know, maybe I can bring a water park to Middletown. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really what I'm trying to do. There uh, it is, real, your real platform. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where do I see Middletown in ten years? I hope that we can be a hub for not just well. Right now, I guess the problem is over the last few years, people are moving outside of Middletown that are from Middletown. My first step would be to try to retain the people that we have, the great people that we have, and get them investing into the community. Second step of that is trying to draw the people that left back to Middletown. So I just asked one of the people on my committee that's trying to get me elected. She moved out to Renaissance. Her and her husband did, and they've got a kid now, and she's a teacher um, in the school district. And I said, Hey, what would it take to get you back to Middletown? And she said, well, let me give me a few days to think on that. And I'll have a good answer for you. So how can we get these great American families that left Middletown? How can we get them back to Middletown investing in the Middletown? Okay. And then the third part is how do we get the people that are not from Middletown to Middletown? So I think it's a three-step process. But the first thing is retention. We have to start giving people a place to live that is going to be young and vibrant and upbeat for these, especially like our generation younger, they want stuff to do. They want to go out, they want to feel safe. So I think we have to bring, I would love to see more policemen here. I think that's so important because that's, that's really like the backbone. I think safety, like people want to feel safe and secure where they're at, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, You need kind of safety for all those things, in my opinion. So I think that's one thing. I I hope that we can increase the housing inventory and bring some new construction here, whether that's through high end apartment uh, rentals or whether that's through uh, new construction homes, which there's there's not a lot of land left in Middletown, but that's something. Uh, Third is I would like to see, um, I believe it's the second ward, but it's over, the Minnesota, the, the Baltimore Street, that that area over there by Rosa Parks Elementary, they need an independent um, grocery store for themselves. I think that's very important. And people have talked about it for a lot of time. But I think, you know, the people that live in that area, they feel like they're left out. They can't really get anywhere, especially if they don't have a means for transportation. So I think there's just a lot of forgotten people in Middletown that they don't even feel like they have a voice. But I would love to see, you know, people walking down the street and walking their dogs more. Uh, as funny as things like that are, I think that's important for a community. I'd love to see a dog park here. I'd love to see when I would drive down downtown Middletown. It looks like I had somebody tell me the other day, it looks like you're driving uh, straight to hell. And I don't want it. To, I don't want it to seem like that anymore. And I don't want it to have to be a pride parade to to make it uh, look nice and colorful and and vibrant. So I think, you know, can we change that? And then can we get the town mall into something that is that that we can truly specialize in? Like right now, the ice hockey, like if, if we put an ice hockey rink out there, it's going to draw people from all over, but how can we get those people from all over to stay and get that tax basis, which is going to continue because until we start making more money, we're really not going to be able to do much more. So we have to get the taxes back here. I think that's the most important part. And I think that's where I can truly help is because I know how, I know why people leave and I know why they come back. And I know that better than anybody because I outsell everybody here. So I just hope that I can kind of take what I've learned over my past eight years of experience in this and kind of put it to use.
0: So those were Rodney Muterspaw and Zach Farrell, both running, for City Council in the city of Middletown, Ohio. Now, just for full transparency, I'm going to give you the names of the other candidates running in this race. Feel free to look up their uh, platforms, their websites, their Facebook pages, learn more about them if you want to make an informed decision on November 2nd. Those names are Jennifer Carter, Julia Lewis-Smith, and Joe Mulligan. Joe Mulligan is actually currently on city council. He is running for reelection. Now, I next want to go to Mr. Joe Yoshimura. He is a former teacher of social studies and ethnic studies at Walnut Hills High School. He is a longtime referee in high school athletics. He is also currently on the Northwest Local School Board. He is running for re-election to the Northwest Local School Board. Now, I really hope that you take some time and go back and listen to that episode with Joe Yoshimura. I try not to play favorites because everyone I've interviewed means so much to me in my life um, in one way or another. But Mr. Yosh taught me so much about different ethnicities and races and really helped me understand where they are coming from in their history and Help me understand things like the Black Lives Matter movement that happened that you know happened last year and continues to this day. Um, now, I do want to play one story that he told. This has nothing to do with the election, but I hope this would help you go back. if I hope this would help you to want to go back and listen to that episode. And that's the story he tells about a certain slideshow that he showed every ethnic studies class throughout his teaching career um, and what that showed of his family. I mentioned these moments in your class where, again, vivid memory, we were studying the Japanese American section. You showed us a slideshow of pictures from Japanese internment camps. If people don't know, this was right after uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and FDR basically, um, you know, made an executive order that said Japanese Um, Americans needed to go to these internment camps out in the West and two, nearly two thirds, what's, there's a lot of things that are hypocritical about these internment camps. I think the biggest thing is two thirds of these were American citizens Two a lot of these were, you know, Americans, people born here. They were Niseis and Sanseis that were, that were in these internment camps. So anyway, you showed us this, the slideshow. And you got to the very last picture and you started tearing up. Can you talk a little bit about what that picture was?
3: It's still emotional. But my sister, just to give you a little background on this slide, my sister took my dad to the Art Institute in Chicago, because that's when I'm originally from, Chicago. And they had the uh, pictures blown up of, of the people who were involved with the internment, the, the Issei's, Nisei's, and Sansei's. And uh, so they're going through this, and my I call him Daddy. I mean, he's passed on, but Daddy and and my sister Barb would go past these big pictures blown up. They finally got to the one and my dad stood there silently. And he said, we've got to go. So my sister actually had to take him by the arm. Now, here's this guy who still can walk He was still very mobile. My sister had to carry him out, arm in arm. They finally got in the car and my sister said, you know that last blown up picture? She says, yeah, I remember. They were making mochi, which is a, a Japanese rice dish. And he says, that's your grandfather. So I needed verification, and I went back to Chicago, and I specifically took that one slide, and I says, Dad, can I talk to you outside? He says, uh, I got to show you something. So he says, Sure, Joe. So he, we went out to my van, because I had like a couple of kids and my wife visiting. So went out in the van, and I showed him the picture. He says, who do you see in that slide, dad? He says, and he looked at me, and he says, that's your grandpa. So when I always end up this slide presentation, I always, I always show that slide because I never met my grandfather, but he's alive and well in that slide And he looked just like my dad. And it was tough.
0: Man, what a moving story from Yoshin. You know, I still cry and tear up every time I hear that story. Every time I go back and listen to that interview, it made me tear up when I asked him the question this time around. And it made me tear up ten and a half years ago when he showed that slideshow to our ethnic studies class at Walnut Hills High School Um, Such a moving story, and it shows a lot about how much he cares and how much he wants to help and serve other people. So again, I hope you go back and listen to that interview. It is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And as I did before, I want to read the candidates who are running in the race for the Northwest Local School District School Board. They are Monica Bowles, Mark Gilbert, Christopher Heather, Nicole Talby, and Joe Yoshimura. Again, you go ahead and research all the candidates and make the the best informed decision. As a former student of Yosh, I can tell you that he will do his best and really put the students of the Northwest Local School District first. Um, He was one of my favorite teachers, and he is a great um, teacher not just of social studies and ethnic studies, but of life as well. So I would recommend that you vote for Joe Yoshimura. Now, moving on to season two of the podcast, we began this season with former congressional candidate and current Cincinnati City Council candidate, Jamie Castle. She ran last year for Congress against incumbent Republican Brad Wenstrup, and she narrowly lost for a Democrat in the district, at least, And that district stretches from eastern Cincinnati all the way out to about Portsmouth. It's about an 8 to 10 county stretch. But she is back on the ballot this year as a candidate for Cincinnati City Council. I looked it up during the break, and there are actually 35 people running, not 34 people. Sorry, I got all that mixed up. But we asked her what she was going to do for the city of Cincinnati if she were elected. And hear what she had to say.
4: For me, it's... Educational empowerment, there are a lot of I've been studying what progressive cities are doing successfully, because, you know, if you take those models and apply it to here to see what actually can work, there's a lot to be learned. There are financial empowerment centers in other cities near us, even that, you know, take a person and they teach them how to lower their debt, raise their credit, get them housing, get them job connections, upskill them, just giving people, you know, as a teacher, you know, education can be such a powerful tool. So we have all these fantastic anchors in the city, the universities and the hospitals and the businesses utilizing those partnerships. We have Cincinnati State, but that's an 18% graduation rate, why? We need to look at that. What support systems can we put in place to get people better jobs, better wages, housing security? So very much my platform is people-focused. When I ran for Congress, it was for the people, and that still applies. You know, I want to look at who are the underserved folks here? How can we help them create generational wealth? If we become a city that is more educated With that comes even more job opportunities and startups. You look at Seattle and they're very successful because their population is educated. High school and graduation rates are a lot higher. If we can do that here, I think we can do amazing things and To not be the butt of the joke of being so far behind. I want to catch us up. I want to be the model. I want to be the city that other cities are looking at. Like, oh my goodness, look at what they're accomplishing. Having that long-term vision. My parents both worked for the city government. My dad was an assistant city solicitor at City Hall his whole career. And my mom worked in contract compliance across the street once we were a certain age and she went back to work. So I had seen a lot of the dysfunction that went on behind the scenes and a lot of it wasn't... You know, the staff's fault, it was the higher ups and, you know, the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. So, having that empathy and focusing on excellence is something I'm really wanting to do as well. My dad worked on the project when Fort Washington Way was rehabbed and made to go underneath. They built it with that foresight of being able to cap it in the future. And that would be something. I would love to be a part of to see what he started finished, because on those, if you're not familiar, Fort Washington Way is where 7175 go between 2nd and 3rd Street, and it's an eyesore, and it breaks up into islands, the central Central business district, and the banks. And fun fact, I worked at Holy Grail. I was one of the opening bartenders. Were you really? Yeah. (laughs) um, My son was like one years old and I just needed a break so I'm like I just want to work two days a week this is my break going to work there and it was great when the Reds games were happening because we were the only thing opened but when nothing else was happening it was just dead because we were such an island and nothing was coming over there for like the lunch shift I would pay to park and not make any money. So it was like, why am I paying to go to work? But to do that, we can build the decks and we can build up to four stories on each of those four decks. It can be shared community spaces, it can be green space, it could be revenue creating. And I think with the new federal administration and infrastructure um, funding, that could be something that could be started. Todd Portune was championed that a long time ago, and actually not that long ago, but it it never went anywhere. So to have that long-term vision, I'd love to be a part of getting us to the next level, doing things smart, you know, the smart technology, applying that to city services could be amazing.
0: Now, city council is not the only race that's big in Cincinnati this year. Obviously, you'll be voting on mayor as well between Aftab Pirival and David Mann. But as always, I want to give the list of candidates who are running in this race Now bear with me, this might be a second because, again, there are 35 of them. So let's start at the top. Jalen Alford, Tom Brinkman, Jamie Castle, Lakeisha Cook, Jeff Cramerding, Michelle Dillingham, Kevin Flynn, Jackie Frondorf, Bill Frost, Brian Gary, Steve Gooden, Galen Gordon, Kurt Grossman, Reggie Harris, Rob Harris II, K.A. Herr Jr., Evan Holt, Nick Jabin, Mark Jeffries, Scotty Johnson, Jan Michelle, Lemon Kearney, Liz Keating, Andrew E. Kennedy, Greg Landsman, John Mayer, Peterson Mingo, Philip O'Neill, Mika Owens, Victoria Parks, Tiaria Powell. I apologize if I completely butchered that name. Logan Simmering, Stacey Smith, Betsy Sunderman, Jim Tarbell, and John Williams. Those are your candidates for Cincinnati. City Council this year. Um, This is going to be a big election. There are nine seats up. Not very many incumbents. They were either term limited out. Obviously, also, Cincinnati has a big corruption issue going on with several city council members resigning due to corruption charges brought against them, including a um, candidate who ran for mayor in P.G. Sittenfeld. Those cases... One has been resolved. The Tamiya Denard case has been resolved. The others have not. So that is something to look out for in 2022. Now, we are going to our final candidate that I interviewed for this podcast, and that is Cincinnati School Board member Mike Morosky. Now, that was the shortest interview of all of the interviews that I have done, um, but he packed a lot into 30 minutes of talking about his career as an educator, both in the private sector and in the public sector. He also talked about some of the accomplishments of the school board so far in his tenure. And he also talked about his views on the mask mandate and on critical race theory. Here is what Mike Morosky said here on the Clayton Castle podcast. You're running for re-election. What What is yes. your biggest mission on the school board? What is the thing, what's the one thing or a couple of things you want to accomplish on the school board?
5: Yeah, man, I appreciate the question. Um, I'm going to give you two big ones. Um, thing number one is uh, continue the anti-racism work um, that uh, I've had the opportunity to kind of get, really get going these past couple of years. You know, last year on June 10th, I remember that because it was my birthday. Um, <laughs> I assigned the creation of the state's first anti-racism policy in a school district. And we have it took six months. It's wonderful. And in it, um, it prescribes that the district have a diversity equity and inclusion office. First time ever we do and hire a director of it. And for the first time ever in the history of CPS, we have a diversity equity and inclusion person who is an upper level administrator that reports to the assistant superintendent. I'm proud of that. However, um, being afforded the opportunity, um, doing my day job working on largely black maternal health issues, I've gone through pretty intense, implicit bias, anti-racism training the past three years. And as a 40-year-old who considered himself fairly woke three years ago to find out that I wasn't, nor maybe could I ever be, um, has transformed the way that I do my work. And um, something I've noticed about the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion work is, um, A, we don't usually talk about it. B, if we talk about it, people consider that a huge win. C, sometimes we create a position and that's like the hugest one ever, and then we stop. And what I realized and noticed in my career is when we create these new positions that we're all excited about, we're like, oh, good job, everybody. Look how woke we are. We did it. Yeah, Everything. Racism's gone. What I realized, what I've noticed is we don't fund these positions. We don't fund these offices. We don't fund these initiatives and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And so I've been really bullish this budget cycle about staying in front of administrators. Like, are we empowering this person to do their job? Because guess what? We cannot hire Michelle. She's a great, lady. We cannot hire her and say, end racism. The second this is not how this is going to work she's going to need a support and a team and we're gonna need new procedures and policies and great thankfully we are we have a new african-american history curriculum we're going to be teaching kids beginning in kindergarten the real history of this country very proud of that work but it's going to take somebody uh, uh pushing and reminding because i'll tell you this bureaucracy doesn't change unless someone on the inside is being a pain in the ass and maybe there's a nicer way to say that but I, that's what it. you know someone's got to be there poking and so Um, I really want to stay focused on that. And then the second thing that's, I think, um, more like now timely, we, we, uh, we need to rebuild trust in the district and, uh, to do that, it's going to take transparency, um, increased transparency. And when I, when I, when I talk about trust, I think our trust was damaged during COVID. And I think the same could be said about most school districts, certainly large urban school districts with a lot of different stakeholders. And, you know, I don't know if this was anyone's fault, unprecedented times, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is it was a hard year. It was a traumatic year. There was a lot of change. We're in school. We're out of school. We're in school. We're out of school. We have enough laptops. We have enough laptops. And people, people are like, what the hell is going on? And now the Metro thing happens. And it's just like, holy cow. After this past year and a half, and now this. And it doesn't matter. See, I don't get into the right-wrong game, as I just talked about a minute ago. I don't get into the blame game either. Like, what matters is what people think. And I think, you know, people are looking at us like, what's up? And I, you know, I think they should. And, and it makes us better when they do that. We got a thousand people watching our meetings, man. People are more tuned into public school boards right now than city councils and mayoral races. Uh-huh. And they should be because it is the most important thing going on um, because it's about kids. And so uh, I think we have an opportunity with all the people watching to rebuild that trust. I think it's going to take increased transparency I think it's going to take a lot of planning. I'm grateful to say I think we're doing both. Uh, We're going to have at least uh, two new board members um, come November. There's four seats up. I'm the only incumbent. Two of my colleagues are not running for re-election. So again, guaranteed two new board members. One new board member is a seat change. Two is astronomical. Mm -hmm. Um, Hell, I could lose and there'll be four new. I don't know, but I, I, I don't intend to. <laughs> so, um, but I think that rebuilding trust and that, that focus on that anti-racism work and what it really, really means, um, and listening and letting the students guide some of that work and not just talk about it, but not be afraid to listen to a teenager, criticize us and tell us that we're doing a, B and C wrong and, and sit with that. Cause I've found it is very difficult for adults to sit with young people's criticism. Um, Our first instinct, there's this thing in our adult brain, whether we want to admit it or not, that goes immediately to a yeah, but I call it the yeah, but we're like, oh, yeah, but you're young or yeah, but you know, the reason things are this way. And we need that. We need to kill that voice and Mm -hmm. sit with some of these criticisms to make change.
0: All right. Well, Mike, thank you. There are two things that I wanted to get to that we didn't get to. So I'm just going to ask them and you can just say yes or no, just to make it real quick masks in schools yes or no yes. yes um critical race theory yes or no
5: so that's a that's a that's a that's a good one um so critical race theory um uh is, is so is so funny because like the people that hate it have turned it into like its own thing and it's not there's not there's nothing that said there's not like a, a curriculum a package curriculum here's critical race theory and here's what it is mm-hmm. it's a it's an idea it's a theory of looking at history through different lenses right and sort of Teaching people that history is syndectic and not synthetic, meaning history is not one thing. History is multiple different things all at once coexisting, like the Marvel multiverse. I'm also a comic book nerd. We can do <laughs> a whole nother thing on that. Another whole another topic. Yeah. But um, and, you know, and, and again, back, my, my man, back to what we talked about at the very beginning about the the teachers, yeah. you know, doing that, teaching people that history is syndectic you got to really teach people to think that way. And, the, and again, in the, in the more monolithic sort of monochromatic schools, it's like, here's the one version of history and that's it. So, um, I'm all about the theory of critical race theory. I love it. Um, but at CPS, again, I'm proud to say we're going to have that African-American uh, right. history, which will teach a lot of that. We adopted a new English language arts curriculum that's teaching a lot through that lens of there wasn't just all these white authors <laughs> and then Harlem Renaissance is like a chapter, In the book, but like you know, the there's this whole thread throughout. Um, and same with social studies, very proud of that whole new social studies curriculum that would take into account a lot of the tenets of critical race theory. So super proud.
0: Now there's been a big development with Mike Morosky and the rest of the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education since we last talked to Mike. That is the implementation of a vaccine mandate for all faculty and staff in the Cincinnati Public Schools district. Not only has it been implemented, but it has been successful. Last time I checked, over 90% of all faculty and staff have either been vaccinated or opted to be tested weekly for COVID-19. So big congratulations to Mike Morosky and the rest of the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education for that accomplishment. It is the first district, at least in the state of Ohio, to accomplish that feat. Obviously, they're also one of the first districts in the country to not only have that high of a success rate, but also to implement a vaccine mandate in a district of Cincinnati Public Schools size. So again, congratulations to Mike Morosky in the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education and the superintendent there at CPS. Now, as I mentioned before, we are going to list all of the candidates for the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education. Those candidates are... Pamela Bowers, Brandon Craig, Gary Favors, Kareem Moffitt, Mike Morosky, and Walnut Hills High School alum and gold medalist in the 2008 Olympics, Mary Weinberg. So those are your candidates for the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education here in 2021. That is it for our 2021 election special. We'll be right back with more details about what's going to be on the blog and the coming episodes. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back to the Clayton Castle podcast. Now, on the blog this week, we will have links to all of the different stories on the new Hollywoodland project, the $1.4 billion proposal to build an amusement park, film studios, brew pubs, a bunch of different stuff there on the riverfront in Middletown, Ohio. I will also give a little bit of my take on the project i will also link to rodney meters full video that he posted i will also link to zach farrell's interview with rocky and eddie on 700 wlw we will also have links where you can find all of the different candidate names for all the races that were mentioned in this podcast those races were the middletown city council race the Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education race, the Northwest Local School District Board of Education race, and the Cincinnati City Council race. So we'll have all that on the blog. The blog can be found at claytoncastlepod.blogspot.com. Now, n- starting next week, we will go back to guests. We have three fantastic guests lined up for the next three weeks. I will say, I'm not going to give out names, but one of them is, is a reporter here in town. He has covered media for years and years and years in the Cincinnati area. Another one is an NKU legend. If you went to NKU from about the late 90s to the early 2010s, You know this man, he's still at the university, still doing a lot of good for the NKU community, as well as the greater Cincinnati community. We will also have a Madison High School product who is just in town for his one-man show. So we will have all those guests, all those conversations coming up in the next few weeks. You will not want to miss the next few episodes of the Clayton Castle podcast. It's a very exciting time for myself and the podcast and everyone who is involved with the podcast, including, um, I always want to thank my beautiful wife, Heather, who has supported me along the way from day one to now to whenever this podcast ends, hopefully never. So again, thank you for listening tell your friends tell your mom tell your dad tell your wife tell your tell your husband tell your boyfriend tell your aunts your uncles your cousins whoever to listen to the podcast the Clayton Castle podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud we will talk to you next week